poverty, it's crime, unemployment, corruption, accountability, energy crisis. We are worried. That South Africa has myriad problems on all fronts is a given. But the time has come for us to look for real solutions. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this MoneyWeb podcast will discuss those solutions on how South Africans can solve problems by having tough conversations and drawing on the insights of South Africa's top business leaders. Welcome to Fix SA. To fix or mend anything, I would contend that you need a sense of what the end goal is, but as important what the operating landscape looks like. You need to have a sense of the environment and what is likely to change and the how, the when and the why. And that informs this edition of the MoneyWeb podcast Fix SA. You'll hear from one of the country's foremost future thinkers. And I hope the conversation is also going to take in what younger generations want, the millennial and the Gen Z cohorts. Dion Chang says on his website that he will make you think differently. He's a strategic thinker. He's a keynote speaker. But this is what I like, a walking ideas bank and a professional cage rattler. Boy, we need a lot more of that. Dion is one of the country's most respected trend analysts and the founder of Flux Trends, which takes the unique view of trends as a business strategy. A warm welcome. I'm Jeremy Maggs. Our guests in coming weeks will be asked how we can make things better. How do we improve matters? And perhaps most importantly, how in the shortest space of time can we once again become a competitive and a successful nation? Dion Chang, a very warm welcome to you. Let's pick up on the one notion, if we can, about thinking. I wonder in this country if we spend enough time actually thinking. If we did more of that and less of just spontaneously reacting, maybe we'd be more successful. Hi, Jeremy, and thank you so much for having me. And I think to answer your question, the blunt answer is I don't think we do, really. I don't think it's not only a South African thing, but I think generally, you know, if you just look at social media, people get kind of carried away with a, you know, a quick firing of some acerbic uh, comments from their couch on Twitter or whatever it is, and then you kind of leave it at that. But I also think in South Africa, we're so mired in so many problems. And generally now, I do feel that there is kind of a despair. It's a bit different this year, the kind of the mood of the country. Obviously, a lot to do with load shedding. But I just think people are just are kind of stuck. I think we're very good at complaining, but mm. I don't think we're very, very good at actually thinking and offering solutions uh, and doing that. Not that everybody isn't doing that. There are brilliant people just you know, plowing away and and, and just trying to chip away at the sort of this huge problem. But I think in general, uh, what we're starting to see is, you know, just the whole argument about renewable energy or solar, you know, so so individual households will all decide that they want to do it if they can afford it and and be able to do that, rather than a complex or a a village or or a suburb coming together and saying, let's get this done and everything like that. So I think that's Mm. one of the sort of main sticking points of, of why we don't really go forward as a society is because we, we just we've kind of keeps the individuals you look after yourself and, and that's kind of the message that we've been been fed over the past years is you're on your own so i think the the mindset is well i better look after myself my family and then we hope for the best dion let me pick up on one phrase and that's going forward and i'm going to use a very bad analogy to what i think is the job that you do assuming that we're all on a very difficult journey through a jungle right now your job i guess would be to climb the tallest tree to see what is ahead and then give us a sense of warning and intelligence 
Why is that future vision important? And without giving away too many trade secrets, how do you do your job? We actually use a, a very similar analogy is that, you know, we, we kind of, um, you know, at Fluxerins, we're, we're in a watchtower. We kind of scan the horizon. We look for little smoke signals. We look for bumps in the road, valleys and mountains to climb, all of those kind of things. And, and you anticipate that. And, you know, we've just seen, again, just, you know, from this year, this, the new kid on the block or, or newish kid on the block is generative AI and, and what that can do, you know, not only to publishing, but to education, all of those kind of things. So we specialize in looking specifically for people's or companies' blind spots and then especially, you know, trying to find solutions and because we scan for things that disrupt a business model. So whether it's a sector or whether it's a company, we can look at those disruptions and say, this is coming at you and we need to, to fix that. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. We, we scan, we look for potential problems that are going to come through for our clients and and then we hopefully give them the solutions or, or, or an option of solutions that they can pursue. So, Dion Chang, why then is trend thinking important in business strategy and do enough businesses pay attention to it? I don't think they do. Look, I, I do think the approach that we have, the mantra we have is, is trends as business strategy. So, so we're not really into color forecasts or, you know, hemlines, anything like that. It it's really is about business and it's about looking at, at at what is going to change fundamentally business model and then your bottom line. And I think because we're in this era of, of polycrisis or permacrisis, whichever word you want to use, we're just mm. seeming, you know, for 2022, we thought, oh, that was a great recalibration. We're coming out of the pandemic and then the war started and then it just sort of piled on again. And I think people are sort of emerging and, and hoping and holding their breath that 2023 is going to be that year of calibration. But the more I speak to, to our clients, the more people are and businesses are preparing for permacrisis and just this is going to carry on, on doing things. So it's understandable that a lot of businesses and business leaders are mired and in operational uh, issues. They've got their head down. But what we say and what we advocate is this is the most important time to actually put your head up above the parapet and, and look and scan and see what's coming because you know you might have this uh, business plan or the trajectory you know, and you're saying you're going to veer sort of five degrees to the left, and suddenly you discover in 18 months' time you're actually 25 degrees to the right. And, you know, that trajectory, if you don't put yourself onto that new trajectory as soon as possible, the outcomes in a couple of years later or a couple of months later are going to be far worse for your business mm. um, than you think. That makes absolute sense, and it's easy for us to talk about that uh, from the sidelines. But uh, if you are in manufacturing, for instance, and you're mired in those problems that you refer to, very difficult to raise your head above the parapet and uh, to find the courage to do so. Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, it, I think that word that you used, courage, is one of the biggest things. And, and unfortunately, as difficult as it is to do, um, you know, I, I do modules about the business of innovation at, at different business schools. And I always talk about ambidextrous leadership because that is what everybody is doing. I think it's been heightened in South Africa this, uh, you know, this, this year. But just even, you know, before the pandemic, during the pandemic, um, you know, leadership have to try and implement new things. And I think what came out of the the pandemic, one of the, the clear signals was meeting the velocity of change because the velocity of change just sped up exponentially during the pandemic. Now we've got these uh, you know, additional problems, polycrisis, all of those kind of things. So you have to keep steering that ship, but you really 
as you say, you know, it's easy to say from the sidelines, but you actually have to use that ambidextrous way of doing things and implement new things while you're trying to steer the ship as well. It's really, really tricky. And I think, you know, every single business owner in South Africa specifically is not only dealing with uh, reconfigured uh, supply chains, all of those things, the, you know, ripple effect from the war, global economies, but um, we have this this huge uh, burden of uh, unreliable energy and, and what to do about that. And we're hemorrhaging, you know, every single day and every single load shed that you have. Where's the starting point then once you've made that decision to be a little more ambidextrous? I think the starting point is because, you know, going back to this model that I do, there are ways in which to measure that innovation. So it can't, you know, it doesn't mean that it's, uh, you know, you, you try and embark on something and you just hope for the best. There are systems and ways to be able to structure an innovation process, but it also requires a lot of commitment. So a lot of companies that I go to and, you know, I, I say to them, and, and especially if they have an innovation hub within a big corporate or within that company, you know, they say, well, we're fine. We, we know we have an innovation hub. We've got people to do that, you know, for us. And I said, and therein lies the problem, because if everybody isn't invested in that process, you miss out on sometimes seemingly simple ideas that have radical impact and change from the least likely uh, sector. So, for example, um, yeah, you know, as, as we're talking today, we're kind of in, in the middle of strikes and everything. But the one uh, case study that I always use, which was actually from a, a hospital in New York, they were trying to, as every company is, is trying to increase their efficiency and get rid of, uh, I love this term, corporate cholesterol and just kind of streamline <laughs> processes. And it was a hospital trying to do this. And they did the usual things there. They spoke to the doctors, the nurses, the admin staff, everything. And eventually they discovered that the, the most valuable insights they did and to change processes actually came from the security guard who stood at emergency admissions. And he or she saw the chaos that happened there. And he said, and they said, you know, I think there's a better way of doing this and you should maybe do that. So sometimes you're, you're, looking for the solutions is in a very, very different place. And sometimes, as as ironic as it seems, your expertise sometimes gets in the way of that innovation because you probably go for a slightly safer way of doing things. And uh, and when, when I say that to people, they look at me rather strangely and they say, but how can expertise be a hindrance to, to any of this? There's actually a NASA case, a NASA case study, where the top, you know, scientists. There was a robotics competition, and they actually saw that the top scientists inside NASA actually didn't have the biggest ideas, um, and and it was people that came out, and and they call it a feasibility preference. So you you know you you look at what's feasible within your expertise. You say, okay, this is it, but you don't take those giant leaps of faith. And I think where we are in South Africa. We need to take those giant leaps of, right. of, of faith and do something different. All right, that's the theoretical blueprint then. Now let's move on to the fix. But before we can fix anything, we've got to establish what the biggest problem facing South Africa is right now. You have quite a choice, uh, Dion Chang. <laughs> yes, I do. You know, for me, what's been bubbling up for a long time is our electoral system. So, you know, fantastic. We, we're a democracy, electoral democracy. But it's been said for a long, long time and, and from, from various sectors, it's been coming through and saying, we need to change this. We can't have, you know, a few thousand people at this moment at an ANC conference that, that chooses, you know, the, the leader of the, the, the country. And 
it's just the way in which we are set up. We, I think that leads to what you started off by saying is, you know, we, we have this disconnect and we don't feel that we have agency because we're just kind of watching, you know, an accident happening in, in, in slow motion. And I think that would go a long way in doing that. And if we see what the future of, of where we're going with coalition governments, um, it's a hot mess right now. And, and we need to, to figure out how, because that is going to be the future. We, we are going to have to deal with coalition governments and coalition municipalities. And it can't be that you know a, a party that, that is completely disproportionate in terms of who voted for them suddenly because of squabbles and because of uh, different processes um, and ideologies become mayors of, of major metros and so too with the leader of the uh, you know the president of the country and all of those kind of things I think that would go a long way in in trying you know in starting to to at least feel that the whole country feels that they are you know that they've got some agency and can contribute positively do you, do you think there is a willing majority of people who would want to fix that problem or as we've discussed on other podcasts is the divide of cooperation and collegiality now too wide that uh, positions have become too entrenched i think they have but i remain the eternal optimist i think that we've stared into the abyss quite a few times in this country's history and we've managed to pull back and I think, I hope that the squabbling and what happens with, you know, with, with, with trying to co- coalitions is that people will, will eventually pull back and say, you know, we actually need to do that or the, the horrific alternative is that there are just complete uprisings. You know, it's no coincidence that you are seeing a split, I use the lovely Afrikaans term because it's got such a lovely mouthfeel um, that alles unravels, that unra- <laughs> you know, it, it unravels, and we see yeah. the unraveling around the world, and and this whole thing about sort of you know right wing extremist groups suddenly elected into governments, uh, you know, a lot's happening in, in Europe, Italy, for example, all of those kind of things, you know, people say, well, it's a left wing right wing thing, and I, I read a really interesting paper and saying, you know, and this is a real bellwether and a big warning for South Africa because I said it's not a, a left wing or right wing argument it it really is a dissatisfaction between the haves and the haves not so because if you look at kind of the fundamentals of democracy there should be you know some semblance of equality and equity within that society to to make that democracy work you know if we live in the most unequal society on the on the planet and you're seeing the rest of the world where these these extreme right-wing groups are, are being voted into government you know it's not because they want that right-wing government it's because they're dissatisfied with the way in which the services are not being delivered the government is not delivering and you know we've had that for a very long time and and we've seen what happened in KZN we are at that tinderbox state where it is going to take one little thing and it can ignite and we're seeing this you know with these strikes it's just it's building it's building it's building it's a very uneasy feeling in the country at the moment all right so you've identified the problem the electoral system how would you start fixing it well, we're seeing it around the world and we're even seeing it on the continent is we need to get some younger voices into government or into public sector. We're starting to see it with some very, not very, but young, much younger mayors than we've seen you know, previously doing quite remarkable things uh, within the country. If you look uh, just to one of our neighbours in Namibia just before the pandemic, Emma Theophilus, uh, she became the deputy ICT uh, minister at the age of 23. She was the youngest cabinet minister on the African continent. You know, I, I don't want to 
wrap it on like a you know beauty queen and say the future about our, our children but we've i've done a lot a lot of research in the past eight years on this generation z um the, the social justice barometers how they fight for things um and what they fight for as well and you are seeing this generation move into politics or, or civic activism at a much younger age than previous generations have done so even for with millennials i think they're a little bit more kumbaya but you're seeing um, a very disgruntled Generation Z come through. And don't forget that the African continent is not a millennial continent. It's a very, very uh, definite uh, Generation Z continent. And in South Africa, we've got a lot of young people within that age group. And I don't think as the first digital natives of humanity, they are given the kind of credibility or the or the space to to just put their hands up and say, I think maybe we can do this in a slightly different way. We we discard them because of age, but we forget that they are the most connected and they are going to be because of the way in which they learn and because of the way in which they, they get things out of the internet, one of the most educated or, or, or aware generations we've had in a very, very long time. So how do you because harness how do you harness their power, uh, their influence and bring them into the decision making orbit? That needs to start with with and therein lies the problem is the, to, to acknowledge the fact that they can be a contributor to a solution. I think that is the, the biggest problem. So whether it's in government, people that are young in government are, are in the late 40s or something that considered young, and also just in business as well. You don't give this young cohort, I think, enough space. Dion, if you were tasked with this job of fixing, who would you call in to help you? Oh, gosh. Logistically, <laughs> you'd want the gift of the givers to, to really come in and just say, how did you know, learn from the processes? I mean, everyone's you know, asked him to say, you know, don't you want to go into government? I would rather just say, can we learn from your processes? Can we learn how you get things done and use the, the, the framework of, of the organization to be able to do that and try and do that? And, and just to get these people. And I think as far away, I think what we need are, are really practical solutions. So I don't think we need... Uh, more ideology. I think a lot of ideology and old ideology has gotten us into this mess at the moment. So I think what we need to really do are, are people that can fix and find those solutions. And those are the people you know, who, who are really good in operations. Let them figure out how we do this, how you know, the, the best business leaders can manage or, or, or cut down and make a, that corporate cholesterol uh, as reduced as possible because, boy, do we have a lot of um, governmental cholesterol. So we need that, that corporate cholesterol to be kind of dissolved and gone through. So for me, it's really people that have a very practical and pragmatic mind can get things done really, really quickly. And also, I think putting those people in is to also put things into more transient ways of doing things. So it's, it's not to say, okay, um, you know, you, you, you put somebody into that position and then you for another five years or something, you there as a contractor, you're there to fix that problem. And then once you fix that problem, we see what the landscape is. And then we bring in other people and, and we kind of uh, you know, you do that. People will argue that you don't get the consistency uh, with that. But I think we're at a stage where we just really need to fix things very, very quickly um, just to have a foundation from which you can build. And I think we're, at, unfortunately, we're at that stage where we have to rebuild that foundation. We don't have that foundation that we're standing on now. It's really on very shaky ground. It's a, it's a very good argument. So what I'm hearing is that more technical but in order to have more technocrats to bring into the fold and just allow them to get onto the job, we've got to find them and we've got to train them and we've got to upskill them. And that in itself is a, another avenue of conversation, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. When you're talking skills, uh, so Jeremy, you know, I've, I've read a really interesting report from the, the World Economic Forum. And, and for me, this is one solution that, that can fix a lot of things. Um, you know, we still duck in this, this kind of, let me call it outdated, notion that an academic pathway to, to tertiary education is the only way. So I'm not saying, because I got really hammered back in 2015, when Fees Must Fall was first coming through, you know, I was saying, we've picked the right war, but the wrong battle. Um, you know, and, and we seen you know, everybody fixated on, you know, you've got to do this degree, especially, a, you know, a four-year-based degree, um, in order to succeed. What the World Economic Forum is doing, and, and let me just say also, you know, the latest stats from the, the people applying for a 350 rand relief grant, 800,000 of those, so almost a million of those applicants, all were postgraduates. They all had degrees. So that should tell you something is very, very wrong with pursuing that, that system. So what the World Economic Forum is suggesting to ramp up skills specifically in emerging markets and create millions of jobs uh, by 2030 or so, um, they are proposing micro-credentials. So micro-credentials are short courses, internships. You could uh, you know, be doing a coding course. You could even be volunteering at a food bank. And what they're proposing is a backpack of skills. So you collect these, these short courses and skills. So in a South African context, you are able to upskill people in a, in a shorter space of time rather than looking at a four-year degree and, and then you still don't have the experience to be able to do that. And then if I put my futurist hat on, if you look at the, the future of work, it is going to be decentralized. You want people with very, very hybrid skills who think like entrepreneurs and are able to cross over with different things. So for me, the micro-credentials is not only a good future of work solution, but it's a very, very pertinent solution for, for South Africa. We've touched on so many different issues, but as we come to the end of this conversation, I want to get back to the original problem that we identified, and that was the electoral system. There's that old cliche, isn't there, Dion, that uh, you, you can't manage anything unless you can measure it. So if we were applying some of the thinking that you've outlined in terms of the principal problem, what would define short-term success? I think in business, when you look at the measure of your, your innovation, um, it is your customer experience and your branding because that is driven and built by your innovation process inside an organization. So if you take it to a government level, your customer experience would be your citizens and, and your branding would be the, the, rep, the reputation of, of South Africa. There are other little metrics that you can use, you know, whether you, you're using sort of, you know, big technological breakthroughs, you know, generative AI, things like that, digitalization, all of those kind of things. But I think fundamentally, I know it sounds quite a vague one, but in terms of branding and in terms of innovation in a business sense, this is a, a real fundamental one. If your customers are, are really happy and they, there's, there's good feedback from it, your brand is, is reputationally doing, doing, doing really well, um, that obviously shows with the bottom line, then you know that your innovation process that you've embarked on um, is that. However, that said, you have to identify what those steps are of that innovation process because you can't just say, okay, we're going to innovate and we'll, you know, we'll do that. I think you need to, to put those markers down. You need to put timelines down for that. And then you need to measure it with, with these things. Are you using, you know, is there internal innovation uh, you know, happening? What kind of applied sciences or big breakthroughs in science are, are, are being used there? Because you can't keep same old, same old and then think you're going to get a, a different result. So you have to put all of these measurements for me, which are I, I frame an innovation space, 
is how innovative are you and how innovative is your thinking? And then you can put those measurements uh, in place. And there are very different measurements that you can put in place. We end every podcast with the same question to all of our guests. When you're talking, Dion, to young people in 20 years' time, what are you going to tell them about the early 2020s? And most importantly, in building South Africa, what is their role as the baton-holding generation? And obviously, in your case, against the backdrop of the work and the study that you've done into Gen Z. Well, I would say that I was looking at this generation for the answers. And I would say to them, I can see what you have done, because I actually believe they will do things very, very differently. Um, And I would say to them, don't make the mistake that we did and not listen to younger voice and and not give them the agency to be able to do that. Um, So listen to uh, a younger voice because they plan very, very differently for the future. I said at the beginning of this conversation that you are a walking ideas bank and a professional cage rattler. And I think that uh, you have accomplished both of those uh, today. Dion Chang from Flux Trends, thank you very much for joining us. My name is Jeremy Mags. Thanks for listening to this Fix SA podcast. For more episodes posted every second Friday, go to moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.